We are continuing our series, Elementary, Growing in Our Understanding. We've been going through this series for a few weeks now. A few interruptions. We've had some guest speakers along the way, which have been fantastic. Um, but we are going over the truths as laid out in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. And the six truths we're covering over the course of this series is uh, repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God, baptism, laying on of hands, and this morning we're looking at resurrection. And these are not simple, these are simple, they're not easy truths, but these are foundational, they are fundamental, and we, we really need to get a hold of them because they really are life-changing. And so often I think we don't understand these fundamental things, and because we don't fully understand them, it has big impact on the way we approach life, the way we see the world, um, the way we see God. Um, so yeah, so this morning we're looking at resurrection, and to kick things off, I want you to look at the picture on the screen. What do you see? I don't need, well, I mean, you can get philosophical if you want, but uh, what, what, anybody? I want to throw it out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was just going for dirt. It's, it's dirt. It's white dirt. I don't know. I typed in dirt. This popped up. It had a black background. It worked. Um, it's a pile of dirt. If you've never, if you've ever seen Brian Regan, all I can think about is cup of dirt. It's a cup filled with dirt in it. Anyways, um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Um, but here's, here's, here's the big philosophical thing I'm going for. You look at this. What you don't see is you don't see life. You don't see hope. You see the end of something, right? We, 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 we see death. We see emptiness. We see meaninglessness. And because uh, it, it's, it's just dirt. And yet in Genesis, we read that God took dirt, formed it in the shape of a man, and breathed life into it. And something that represents death, that represents nothingness, that represents uncleanness, that represents so much that isn't good, God breathed life into it and it became good. And he did it once. He's never done it again. But it doesn't mean he can't. We don't serve a God that's like, oh, rats. I did it once. Now we're done. He did it once. He can do it again. I want you to hold on to that as we dive into talking about resurrection. Um, the way we've been going through these fundamental truths is I've been going into the Old Testament. How has it started? Where did we get this idea? And how has it been developed in the New Testament? The interesting thing about resurrection is that it's not really an Old Testament idea. Many of the authors, many of the, the kings, and everyone that wrote and contributed to the Old Testament, resurrection was not an option. What they saw was they saw we had to make the most of this life. That if we serve God, we're going to be blessed, we're going to have fulfillment, we're going to have purpose, and life is going to go good for us. But when we get to death, death is final. It's done. And so we need to make the most of the time that we have. And, and you may be like, well, but I just read in Psalms, or I just read in a prophet. The psalmists and the prophets are talking in imagery. They're not talking about a physical resurrection from the dead. What they're talking about is being saved from a certain death situation. They're talking about getting into a spot where the armies are surrounding and we're surely going to not survive. We're surely going to die in this situation. And God shows up and saves them in the nick of time and they are rescued from certain death. But they're not talking about actually the physical coming back from death to life. 
And that's really interesting that for the Old Testament people, this was not even an option. And until we get to Jesus, it's not even in the realm of their thought. But then when you take the prophecies and you take who Jesus is and everything that he did and you read the Psalms and you read the prophets, you read the Old Testament, you realize that what they meant for certain death, dire situations was actually pointing forward to a time where resurrection was going to be a thing. They're actually looking forward. They're prophetic in the sense, in the way that there is actually life after death. There actually is something after this mortal life of ours comes to an end. And you're like, but isn't there like resurrections in the Old Testament? Yeah, three times people got resurrected. In a span of thousands of years, three resurrections. It's not enough to build a solid found, a, a, a solid theology around. And the three times someone got resurrected, prophet Elijah brought a young boy back to life. Elisha, while he was alive, brought a young boy back to life. And then there's this awkward story where Elisha has died. They've buried him, and they didn't mark the grave for some reason. And they uncover it, and they throw a dead body into Elisha's grave, and he comes back to life. That's freaky. It wasn't Elisha himself coming back to life. It's the dead guy throwing into a hole, being like, what am I doing in here? Like, Whoa. Three times. That's it. And the really cool thing is when we get to the New Testament, all of a sudden, Jesus caps that in less than three years. Three times over the course of Jesus' ministry on all four gospel accounts, he brings someone back to life. And it is this reality that when God shows up and Jesus steps into the scene, he has not just authority over the things that we can see, but he actually has authority over death itself. That all of a sudden, the God of the universe shows up, takes human form, and not even death has the final word. Not even death is the exclamation point. It's not the closing of the book. Because as long as there's the God of the living, and all throughout the Old Testament, it's this really interesting idea that God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. So how can you be God of the living when people keep dying? Unless you have authority over death, and you can make sure that death doesn't have the final say. And this all culminates in this really beautiful moment where we celebrate Easter. And Jesus, he warns the disciples all along, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back three days later, but I'm going to die. And the disciples reject it. They refuse to accept this truth because if Jesus dies, it's the end of the movement. And if it's the end of the movement they've given their whole life to, then what's next? Because they are operating under the assumption that people don't come back from the dead. They don't, they're operating under the assumption that once Jesus dies, that's it. Even though they've seen three people come back to life at the hands of Jesus, um, we've never seen in all of the story of Scripture, up until that moment, Easter, Easter Sunday, someone actually bring themselves back to life. It's always been somebody laying hands. It's always been somebody praying. And all of a sudden, Jesus does what is deemed impossible. He brings himself back. And so, as we look into the New Testament account of the resurrection, I'm going to invite you to go to 1 Corinthians 15. When it comes to the resurrection and the importance of it and the fundamental nature of it, uh, it doesn't get any better than 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul just unpacks it so beautifully. So starting in verse 1, this is what Paul says. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. 
you welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. This is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important. This is most important. And what had also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So Paul starts off and he's talking about how Jesus resurrected from the dead. And this isn't just a few guys collaborating on the story. Over 500 people saw him alive, talking, speaking, interacting with people. That's a significant witness account. Because he's building a case for people who weren't there. He's building a case for unbelievers saying, or for Gentile believers saying, this really happened. And this would have been so significant for the disciples, because if Jesus hadn't come back to life, if what he talked about being resurrected was a lie, then what else did he say that was a lie? What else did he say that was a little bit of a stretch of the truth? But he came back like he said. So if that was true, if this miracle was true, if he really did the impossible, then everything he said was true. Everything he said about the kingdom, everything he said about life, everything he said about sin and money and everything he taught was true because this came true. This really happened. So this is a significant part of the gospel. Because Paul's going to go on, and he says this. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. <clears throat> and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, <clears throat> then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Did you get what Paul is saying resurrection is not just a fundamental truth it's the fundamental truth because if there's no resurrection of the dead then christ didn't come back and if christ didn't come back then your hope is useless your faith is useless you're not forgiven of your sins you're still guilty and you're still going to stand before god and there's no hope that's how fundamental that's how foundational and important resurrection is Everything we hope for. And imagine being the Corinthians. Christians were dying at an alarming rate. Paul himself put Christians to death. And if there's no hope after death, if there is no resurrection, then that death was useless. That death was pointless. Because you held on to something that 
really didn't have any significance. But if there is resurrection, oh, oh, that changes things. Because it means that even though life didn't end the way we had planned, even though life doesn't always go according to plan, there's still hope. There's still hope of an eternity. There's still hope of a kingdom. I'm getting ahead of myself. But there's hope. Because it means that what they died for wasn't useless. It means that what they died for wasn't meaningless. And that there is hope and that they are forgiven. And everything is better because of what Christ has done. Resurrection isn't just fundamental. It is the most foundational, important truth that we need to grasp. That there is life after death. Paul goes on, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when, we will turn, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. The last to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority. So that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. We often talk about that when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to eternity, we talk about how there's no more death. We talk about how there's no more corruption. We talk about how there's no more injustice. And this is why. Because God has put everything under Jesus, and Jesus is going to, in the final days, he's going to make all things new. He's going to make a new world. He's going to make a new earth, a new heaven. He's going to eliminate all corruption. And everyone kind of muttered amen under their breath, right? No more corruption in government. No more corruption in law enforcement. No more corruption anywhere. Because Jesus now becomes the supreme authority. And his supreme authority doesn't just stop at human authority. It also extends to death. Death doesn't even have the final say. Death doesn't even get to have its moment and its victory. Because Jesus now is the supreme authority. And this is the hope. We talked about placing our faith in God. Part of faith is having, is putting our... Faith is the evidence of what is unseen, an unseen future. Our faith tells us that Jesus is going to redeem all things. And this is why resurrection is important, because we can't experience this redeemed earth and this new heaven with our current bodies. You know, if you know this, our current bodies have a problem. It's called sin. It needs to be dealt with. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you are redeemed and the Holy Spirit fills us. But I don't know anybody who gets, to, who got, gets a free pass. You still make mistakes. You're still sinful. And unless we get a new body, we don't get to experience this great, glorious, new earth, new heaven that Paul is talking about here. The resurrection goes hand in hand with the hope that there's a better future, that eternity is going to be everything we say it is. No more death. 
No more corruption. No more injustice. Sign me up. I'm in. And that should give us hope when we get frustrated with how life is going. Because this isn't all there is. Jesus talks about how your life is but a lily in the field. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Even when life feels like it's dragging out, it's nothing but to what eternity is going to be like. This is just a blip on the radar, a blinking of an eye. Eternity with no more corruption. Eternity with no more death. Eternity with all things new and good. That gives me hope in the midst of the struggles. Paul goes on, verse 35, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. Paul is so merciful and sympathetic. When you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And when you put, the, put it in the ground, it's not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, are different kinds of flesh. One kind of one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars have a different kind. And even the stars different in each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when they die but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Paul will go on to say later on in the chapter that there are going to be some who die and will be resurrected, not all will die, but all will be transformed. Why? Because our earthly body cannot handle the glory and the goodness and the holiness that's going to come with this new age. And I, I love it when we talk about resurrection because everyone's like, I'm getting a new body. I hope it's like when I'm 25. I love my 25-year-old body. I love my 22-year-old body. I love my 18-year-old body. What does, G, what does Paul say? Paul's like, your new body's going to be nothing like it was. It's going to be as different as the wheat seed is from the wheat stock. You're getting a new, glorious, perfect body. Woohoo! I'm in. No more pains. No more sicknesses. No more diseases. No more cancers. No more terminal. Nothing. Everything that kills this body is gone in the new world. Everything that makes this body fall apart is gone when we're resurrected. That's good news. Especially for some of, you know, if you've got bad knees or you've got bad shoulders or, you know, checking off all those bodies. you got whatever the conditions are, whatever it is, sleep problems, all of it, gone. It dies with this body and you get something new. That's good news. That's good news. And one of the most amazing mercies we get is every once in a while, God shows up and we get a taste of what this body's going to be. That's what a miracle is. When 
the world has infected our body and we're sick and we're, there's something wrong and God shows up and says, no more. You get a taste of what eternity is going to be like. That thing's gone. I'm taking it out. It's going to bother you no more. All the, everything that's wrong. This is the hope of resurrection. This is the hope that we hold on to, that this isn't all there is. Because if this is all there is, that's pretty depressing. Let's be honest. Because even, and it, it's the epitome of sin at work in our world is that someone can do everything right and still get sick. Everyone can do everything right to take care of their body and they still get cancer and they still get sick and they still have something go wrong. And it's like, why? Because sin is in the world and sin brings chaos and it doesn't make any sense. And so we look forward to a day when there's order. The chaos is gone. The sin is gone. The death is gone. Our spiritual enemy is gone. And we get a new heaven and a new earth and a new body and a new uninhibited relationship with Christ. This is the hope of the resurrection. And this is the hope we hold on to because if Jesus came back to the came back from the dead, so will we. This is why it's foundational. This is why it's fundamental. This is why and this is the even better hope that we have. Remember where we started? Pile of dirt. Wasn't that long ago, okay? Just in case you need a refresher. If God can breathe life into a pile of dirt and make it a human being. If God can breathe life into this dead body and make it an immortal, glorious body, if he can take the earth and all of its corruption and all of its, everything that's wrong and make it new, make it good, then why can't he do it in your situation? If he did it once, he'll do it again. And this is the good news of the resurrection is because we have some dead situations in life and we need something to happen. We have relationships that are dying. We have friendships that are dying. We have a situation that feels dead end and it's hopeless. But we believe in a God who puts hope where there's no hope. He puts life where there is death. He brings healing where there is sickness. The hope of the resurrection is it changes everything because nothing is ever truly hopeless. And that is good news. You should be way more excited. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. I'm a little excited. Um, but we forget that. And this is what I've been, this is why this is fundamental. And I always get to this point that we can't lose sight of what this means for our lives. We talk about baptism and how it's kind of lost its significance. We talk about laying on of hands and how it's kind of lost its power. We've forgotten what resurrection really means. It's not a point of contention. It's not a point to debate like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. It's not, it's not any of that. It's, it's this hope-filled Good news, Christ came back from the dead. He is the first of many, and because of what Christ did, we get to share in it, and that's exciting, because this life is hard. I'm ready for it to be done, and I'm ready for eternity. I'm ready for this new earth, and this new heaven, and this new body, and all the new. I want the new. I don't just want it for myself. I want it for you. I want it for our communities. I want it for our families.
And you should too. The resurrection is foundational. It shouldn't weigh us down. It should fire us up. Because nothing is really, truly dead as long as God and the Holy Spirit are part of the equation. And that is good news. This morning I've been talking about baptism after service, so I'm going to prepare. I want to just touch on it. Maybe you've been thinking about it all morning. Maybe been thinking about it since I first announced it. I'm going to make a really bold statement about baptism. And I really want you this to sink in for you. The way that you are not married, unless you have a wedding ceremony, I would say you are not really a Christian until you've been baptized. And if you don't like what I said, go back a couple weeks and listen to my baptism service because it's all there. Because until we actually take part in the New Testament, this was initiation. This was the ceremony where we got in front of all of the witnesses. In the same way, we get in front of a bunch of witnesses at our wedding. And our witnesses are not just there to make sure it happened, but they're there to support us. They're there to walk alongside us, to cheer us on, to make sure that our our marriage is a success. That's what baptism is. Because look at, think about it. Baptism is a representation of what has already happened personally when you gave your life to Christ. That's between you and God. Baptism is a representation of what the Holy Spirit continues to do in your life, putting to death the old way, the sinful way, and bringing to life this new creation that you are in Christ. And it is looking forward to when our physical bodies are buried and we are raised eternal, immortal, glorious new bodies. Baptism is the culmination of everything we've talked about. It is the repentance of our evil deeds, putting it to death. It is placing our faith in God, coming to life. There is laying on of hands as we are commissioning you into this new life, as we are blessing you to succeed, as we are, and I said it on when we talked about it i'll say it again i believe that there's healing in the baptismal tank it is a sacred moment between you and your savior why can't the miraculous happen why can't um, why can't addictions be broken why can't life be breathed in horrible situations why can't amazing things happen when we go under the water in baptism And it is the representation of dying, being resurrected, something new. When you come out of the water, you are not the same. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is washed away. And you get to experience the the slate wiped clean, forgiveness abundant, and you get to experience new creation in Christ. Baptism is not this optional thing. And I think what happens is we overthink it. We rationalize it and we delay it. Well, we'll do it next time. Oh, we'll do it next time. You know what happens in the, new, in the Bible when people get offered baptism? They do it. They get saved and they go running to the next body of water. For us, we get saved and eh, get around to it. 
baptism is this massive, important, significant moment between you and God before the community of faith saying that I am going to live my life completely and fully for God Almighty from this day forward. So if you're here, you've never been baptized or you've been baptized and you've got that stirring in your spirit that maybe it's time to do it again, to get washed again, to recommit, stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about it and just do it. Because we want to celebrate with you. We want to support you. We want to come alongside you. Be like, yeah! Um, I know Michelle had a song, but... Uh, We've gone way over time, and we got Paula to get to, too. So, uh, you know, keep the train rolling. I'm going to pray. And uh, if you would like, um, Robin is still in the prayer room. She'd love to pray with you. If you want to get baptized, I'm going to go right out to the tank. You come talk to me, and uh, we'll get ready. If you don't have anything prepared, like I said, don't worry about it. All you have to do is answer three simple questions. Simple, not easy. And... Uh, We'll baptize you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the hope and the good news of resurrection. God, I thank you for everything that it represents. And I pray, I pray that resurrection fires us up, not just for life, but for mission and ministry and for all the things you've called us to. God, that we would not hold this truth, we would not hold this gift to ourselves, but that we would excitedly and urgently share it with as many people as possible. God, I thank you, Jesus, I thank you that you did not stay dead. And because you were alive, you are the great high priest. You are the example. You are the one we can lean on and call to. And you can do great and amazing things because you're alive. Because you're alive, we have hope that death is not the end, but it's simply the beginning of life in eternally and forever in your presence. God, stir in us. Remind us of those situations where things seem hopeless, that God, you are the God of hope. You are the God of life, and you can breathe life in things that are dead. And God, I pray that you are speaking to those who need to be baptized. God, stir in their hearts, stir in their minds, and draw them to the waters. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.